I have some connection issues here. Testing, testing. There we go. Did not know what's going on with that. It was not in the closet, and it did not get wet, so I don't. I can't say. Well, it was got wet, so I don't know what happened. Welcome to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, your spiritual guide through this journey called Christianity, and glad you can be here with us as we. Uh, continue looking at the early lives uh, early life of Jesus Christ digging into some of these revelation stories and tonight looking at the uh, baptism story sadly our baptismal font was uh, damaged um, by the uh, flooding uh, and me cleaning it mostly uh, so we'll uh, get it back up and running uh, hopefully soon but um, you can imagine it there and what it would sound like the the beautiful flowing water uh, in there, so let's have a word of prayer um, as we just gather tonight and reflect on this good news. Let us pray, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together tonight. We thank you for any time we can come and worship. We thank you for making it through another week, surviving, thriving glorying closer to you and closer to one another. We ask that you be with us now in all that we do, that we are truly blessed by our time together. Our hearts are truly open to hear your word, that we are challenged, mostly that we experience your love and share that wherever we go. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Our uh, scripture reading tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke. We've been mostly in Luke tonight, so uh, you can look in uh, Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read 15 through 18 and then 21 and 22, um, but I've just put 21 and 22 up on the screen. So uh, follow me. If Sarah, if you're up there, uh, I'll pick up on 21. So you can just put that slide up when I get to 21. Uh, So hear these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 15 first through 18 and then 21 and 22. The people were filled with expectation. Everyone wondered whether John might be Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husk is in his hand. He will clean out the threshing area and bring wheat into the barn. But he will burn the husks with fire, a fire that cannot be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. I want you to rest on that, what I just said, and then that little last statement for a second. And now we pick up at 21. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form like a dove. And there was voice from heaven. You are my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. Pretty cool. You've heard of... uh, 
you know, K-Love, the radio station, Christian radio station, right? A lot of us listen to that Air One, K-Love. The Lighthouse, we encourage you to listen to our local Christian radio station, The Lighthouse, 88 point something. Um, you can look that up. Uh, K-Love, though, runs this. Uh, that's, of course, a big national radio station. And they run this uh, K-Love Challenge. Has anybody ever done that? You know, you listen to nothing but Christian music for 30 days, right? Um, and I think that's good. Well, I've, I've done something similar for the last 30 days. Um, I, I just, as, as I was working with my spiritual director this week, I just realized, um, you know, I really, I haven't been listening to the radio at all, like AM radio. I listen to the AM radio. Have not been listening to the radio. I've uh, not been keeping up with the news. Um, I've pretty much disregarded anything on my, you know, news feed, Facebook, that isn't related to Star Wars. So I've done the 30-day... <laughs> 30-day Star Wars challenge, I guess. Um, I, and I think the results have been pretty great, so uh, I think I'm just going to keep... I don't, I don't have any idea what's happening in politics, and I'm pretty okay with that right now. I, there will be a time I'll have to start paying attention again, but um, <coughs> for this time, I, I haven't. So, but, but it's been interesting. I've been listening to a series uh, called Star Wars Oxygen. It's a podcast, and it talks all about the music of John Williams, who, of course, I... I, uh, you know, I love music, and, and maybe one of the reasons I love music is because I grew up with these wonderful films composed by John Williams and his wonderful orchestral work. Um, but if you listen to these soundtracks, these beautiful scores done by John Williams, you find in them wonderful and, and really deep hidden cues. Uh, and it's the same for orchestral music, in period. Uh, you can find a theme, and then that theme gets repeated and repeated. Well, in Star Wars, every character kind of has a theme, and then you hear those themes repeated. And so in this new movie and this new soundtrack, you know, people are trying to listen for these hidden cues and who's connected to who and what's connected to what. And, uh, and it's just a, a, a wonderful part of music. Well, the Bible has similar hidden cues. That if you don't know, so if you went in and, and saw Star Wars and heard the music, um, you might, well, that's Luke's theme, or that's the Force theme, or, you know, that's Princess Leia's theme, all those kind of things, right? Uh, and you say, oh, well, what does that have to do with this character that's on the screen right now? Well, the Bible has that too, and, and a lot of that in the New Testament with what Jesus is doing is the fact that when somebody speaks, they might be quoting something that already happened without doing it like we do it, like we, you know, I... Sorry, I don't, my Bible's not sitting up here. But, you know, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse... You know, nobody did that when Jesus was alive, right? You know, they didn't say, and thus the prophet Isaiah. Now, it's interesting. Um, you know, we read, uh, not in this little series, but in another series last year, um, the one time Jesus actually opened a scroll, they didn't have books, there's only one time in the Bible where Jesus actually opened a scroll and said you know, a reading from the prophet Isaiah. We don't, he didn't even say that, but he just read from the book of Isaiah, right? I mean, that, that happened one time. So, you know, we, we just think, well, Jesus is coming up with all this great stuff and, and everything else. But Jesus sometimes says something that is a cue to something that's already happened. And here in this story, there's a big cue. And, and we're going to get to it in a little bit. But uh, I, I just want you to know that when you read the Bible, you know, it, there's a surface and then there's, there's, you know, there's all these different layers. And, and, and you can just, you can read this story and say, wow, you are my beloved son whom I am well pleased. That's, that's awesome, right? But then there's other layers that we need to go to. So I want to take a look at that. But before we do, I want to take a look a bit at um, 
uh, what leads up to this? Obviously, I'm talking about what God is saying, but what leads up to this event in the life of Jesus, right? So our story, uh, our story starts with John, uh, John the Baptist, not John the disciple, and not John of Patmos. Those are all guys in, not, there's not as many Johns as there is Marys, but there's a lot of Johns in people uh, in the book uh, of the New Testament. So, um, yeah, let, a couple of you got that joke. Um, I just kind of wafted over you. Good. Um, uh, this is John the Baptist, and remember, he has a special connection to Jesus because he is Jesus's, uh, I'm sorry, cousin, thank you. Uh, that was me pausing so that you could tell me who Jesus, yeah, John and Jesus were first cousins, right? Um, yeah, right, they were cousins. Uh, they may not have been first, but they were, they were cousins. Um, and, and so they had a relation. Earlier in Luke, now there's a whole passage if you read Luke chapter 3. Earlier in Luke, um, we get a little introduction to John. And these are his first words, John the Baptist. Uh, and remember, John's like a preacher, right? So John is going out and he's preaching. And it even says right here in our scripture reading today, um, he, he preached the good news, right? He was proclaiming good news to people. We gospel's good news. Here's the first thing he says when people start coming out to hear crazy John the Baptist out in the country, right? You children of snakes. Good news. Who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your heart's and lives. And he goes on from there. Awesome, right? Gospel means good news. I'm not sure what part of that is good news because it doesn't sound very judgment and fire. I mean, John is literally the first fire and brimstone preacher, right? Because he's talking about fire and brimstone. And have you ever been out in the desert, in the wilderness? Fire's a real problem, right? You know, out west, we don't have it here as much, but you, you know, when there's fires, it's a big issue, right? So this wasn't a joke. This wasn't something that, you know, people were, oh, ha, 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 that's good news, John. No, it's terrifying. He's warning the Israelites that they are not safe from judgment just because they're the quote-unquote chosen people, just because they were born into the people of Israel. He says there will be judgment, and it's going to be like a fire sweeping over the land. Just think out to the forest fires. Same thing in the wilderness in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem. So all of that, and people are flocking to him. They can't get enough of this crazy guy who says they're going to hell, right? Basically, they love it. They are flocking to him in droves. They want to hear what this guy is saying. So John's not just warning people to repent. He's actually calling them to action. And this is the beauty in his preaching. He's not saying, you will be judged, watch out. He says, produce fruit. He actually gives examples. He says, you know, if you're a soldier, be a good soldier. Don't abuse your power. If you're a tax collector, be a good tax collector. Don't take more than you're, you should be asking for, right? He actually gives them specific reasons don't harass people right if you have if you're wealthy enough to have two cloaks give one to another that comes from john john says that you know if you have two coats give one away he's giving people practical advice he doesn't have any answers for salvation he says listen there is judgment coming 
and no one is going to be spared from the judgment. So the, at least the thing that we can do, folks, is try to love our neighbors a little bit better than we're doing, right? That's like John's preaching right there in a nutshell. You know, he has, he has nothing to say. He says, I, he, he never says anything about salvation. He just doesn't have the answer to that. And, and we know why, because he, know, he knows it's coming, right? He doesn't have it. Jesus has it. But he says, you know, you need to at least begin to change if you're going to be ready for this big change that's happening. So that's what John is doing. I think that is kind of cool. You know, it starts out kind of fire and brimstone, but he's really saying, hey, we need to turn around. We need to treat people better. We need to check out what we're doing. And that brings us to Jesus. Okay, so John's out there. He's preaching. He's having a good time. He's, you know, eating honey and bugs and stuff, right? And uh, all crazy out in the wilderness. And, that, and we, got, we got Jesus now, right? The last time in Luke that we saw Jesus, he was 12 years old. And then 18 years pass. Luke tells us that he's about 30 years old when this baptism takes place, the beginning of his ministry. 18 years. What's Jesus been doing? He's known he was God since he was 12. He's known he is the son of God. I'm not going to say he's known completely what that meant. And I don't think it means he's, he knows what the mission is, what, what his future is, because we're going to talk about that in a second. But he's known, I am the son of God. 18 years. And what's he's been doing? He's been waiting, right? He's, he's learned how to become a carpenter. He's built tables and stuff, right? I, whatever people needed carpenters to do back then, I don't really know. But, you know, he, he's done that 18 years, waiting for a sign, right? Some of us say, oh, man, I've been waiting a long time for a sign, 18 years. And this guy knew he was the Son of God, 18 years, patiently waiting, day after day. Now the prophet Isaiah, this is me saying this, the prophet Isaiah would tell us, would teach us that there would be a voice crying out in the wilderness, right? And that voice would proclaim the coming Christ. Prepare the way for the Lord. That's what Isaiah would prophesy. And that would mark the coming of the Christ. So Jesus, his cousin John, he hears his cousin John is doing this, and, you know, he's out there. You know, Anne Elizabeth comes over for dinner, and he's like, oh, yeah, how well, was John? John, you know, Johnny's great. You know, he's out. He's saying, prepare the way for He's talking about fire and stuff. It's crazy. Uh, and Jesus is sitting there at dinner. You know, he made the table, maybe. And, you know, he's sitting there at because the, he's a carpenter. I, I literally have no idea what carpenters did 2,000 years ago, make tables, I guess. Um, and, and he's sitting there, and he's like, okay, hey, this is a sign. John is saying this is the time. It is, it, it, this must be it. So he goes out and, and he looks. We talked a few weeks ago about, you know, about seeing signs. The Magi, they saw the sign in the heavens and they went over days, months, we don't know, years they traveled to see what had happened. They go, in, they go to Jerusalem and all the religious leaders gather together and they say what? A new king has been born. And not one of those religious folks goes and checks it out. So maybe Jesus didn't know what was going on, but he said, I'm at least going to check it out, right? So he goes out into the wilderness. He sees what's happening. He hears John, and he goes, and he gets baptized. He sees people are ready to be changed. I think that's the thing Jesus really, that like, whoa, wait a minute. Not only is John saying, repent, you know, prepare yourself. There is something, someone coming, but people are actually coming being baptized, turning their lives around, 
starting to treat their neighbors better. And Jesus says, the people are ready. I need to start my ministry. So and there's often this question as we go to Jesus' baptism in particular. Why did Jesus get baptized, right? Why did he need to get baptized? And it's a hard question because it, you know, theologians have been arguing about it for 2,000 years, so I'm not going to say we can answer it uh, definitively today, but we know this. Jesus didn't need to repent, right? He was without sin. He didn't need to do it to impress others. He knew he was the Son of God. He didn't have anything to prove. The story in the temple is that pivotal moment for Jesus, right? Now, now there were pivotal moments before that we talked about, these revelation stories, his birth, right? the magi right you know the the events the rituals the circumcision the the ritual all that area and then this this pivotal moment when he was 12 this is one of those moments this is one of these moments that marks something a transition a new moment a change a new opportunity this is a beginning and this is the beginning of jesus's ministry so jesus got baptized to mark the beginning of ministry we get baptized kind of for the same reason we'll talk about that here in a little bit so thankfully for jesus right he goes out he makes this decision to go see john he makes this decision to get baptized and his decision the beginning of his public ministry was immediately met with affirmation right immediately met now elsewhere not in luke um, but john himself says i'm not worthy right i'm not worthy you know and and there's this little conversation between john and jesus but here in luke what happens the heavens open up right think about it this i mean it's not like it doesn't say and metaphorically the heavens opened and metaphorically the holy spirit came down it says while he was praying the heavens opened up the holy spirit descended in physical form like a dove and god the father spoke right that's some pretty weighty stuff and that's pretty good news if if we're talking about anything that's good news it's hey i think i should go into ministry and i got baptized and the heavens opened up and god said yeah go into ministry that's pretty good news i mean i think if anybody had that story we'd all be pretty pumped about it i think jesus here is pretty excited about that now the traditional language you might be familiar with is this is my beloved son right in whom i am well pleased wow now i don't know about you but i think when i when i try to make a decision or or when i make a decision in my life or when i've made decisions in ministry or to follow god or to follow jesus i i would like the heavens to open up and i would like to hear something similar this is Mark, right? In whom I am well pleased. I'd like to, uh, I mean, there's at least two of us in this room that would like to hear that specifically. I mean, you can insert your own name for everybody else. But, uh, right, uh, you know, we'd like to hear that. This sounds really good, really exciting. Why doesn't God do this for us? That's if you're not listening to the cue. And there are cues here. And, and this isn't some random statement. You know, God isn't just saying, yeah, good job, Jesus. Let's do this, right? There are cues, and they're particular cues. And they're maybe not the kind of cues you really think they are, right? 
So let's talk about them. There's two. The first part of the passage. You are my son whom I dearly love. This is my beloved son. Right? You are my son, the good news says. Uh, the common English says. You are my son whom I dearly love. This is a quote, a cue, from Psalm 2, 7. I will announce the Lord's decision. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. This is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Now, if you read this entire Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, uh, or Psalm 2, it is a coronation song. It is about the crowning coronation, the crowning, right, the exalting of a new king, particularly the Messiah, the king that would come to save everybody, right? The one true king. King of kings. So the Lord is saying, you are my son, right? God the Father is saying, you are now king. You are now king. Your reign, you think about this, your reign begins today. Wow. Okay, let's back up. I like the you are my beloved son part. Um, oh, by the way, all this stuff is yours. Now take over, right? That's a bigger uh, agenda than maybe we were thinking. That's pretty heavy stuff. Not as heavy as the second cue. Here's the second cue. In you, I find happiness. Oh, well, come on. That's got to be harmless, right? In you, I am well pleased, the King James says, right? How, could, how on earth could that be anything but good, good news? It is, unless you know the cue. The cue from cha or chapter 42 of the prophet Isaiah. This is what Isaiah says. Here is my servant whom I will uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Happy, pleased, soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, right? The spirit descends. He will bring forth justice to the nations. All right, well, that doesn't seem too bad, right? That's what God is doing. God is quoting Psalm 2, 7, and then God is quoting Psalm, or Isaiah 42, 1. Well, it's not a big deal if you don't know what's going on in Isaiah, especially 3rd Isaiah. 3rd Isaiah, lots of prophecy, right? There's a lot going on in 3rd Isaiah, the third part of Isaiah. And I won't get into too much biblical scholarship, but there are three different parts of Isaiah. This is the final part of Isaiah, the last third. And this is the introduction or the beginning of what we call the servant's song. Remember that Isaiah says, um, uh, let me get back here. Here is my servant, right? Well, then there's this whole song, this whole prophecy about a servant. And we call that servant the suffering servant. Why? Well, look, read ahead in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced because of our rebelliousness and crushed because of our crimes. That sound familiar? Yeah, right? He bore punishment that made us whole. By his wounds, we are healed. Oh, well, we, we know that because that's, a, that's an Easter, right? That's a Good Friday 
passage that we hearken back to many, many times. That is part of the suffering servant song. So when God is saying, you are my son, right? Whom I dearly love, stop, part one. In you, I find happiness. That's just this little cue, you know, this little musical boom, right? You could, you know, just listening on the soundtrack, you would have passed it by. But Jesus knows God is saying, you are the suffering servant. You are king, yeah? You are my son. You are the son of God. You are God. You are king. But your kingship is one of suffering. And I believe on that day, in that moment, I don't think before this, but I think at this moment, it was here, you know, as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he goes and he prays, and it is in this moment that he knows now, three years from now, I'm going to be on that cross. And it's the weight of the sin of everyone that's going to be weighing me down on that cross. Right? Maybe you'll think twice about asking God to open the heavens for you and saying how good and pleased he is. Hmm. The Father, God, I love, this is a Trinity moment, right? Jesus, the Son, God the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit's doing stuff, right? It's great. Trinitarian theologians like me, we love this passage of the Bible. But here God the Father is saying, this is who you are, this is where you're going. You are king. You will save everyone. But it will be at a great cost. And there will be great suffering. So the next time you are praying, God, open and just say something to me. Thank the Lord God does not. Right? Or if God does open the heavens and say, this is Mark, (laughs) whom I am well pleased Go look for the cues because you might not really like what God is saying to you. Now, I don't think any of us here would have been able to deal with the weight of that revelation, right? The, the heaviness of that realization that Jesus had on the day of his baptism. But that being said, we, all of us Christians and all people, are being called into action. That's what our baptism really marks. It marks our membership into Christ's body of the church. And when we become part of Christ's body of the church, we are called to act. Because we don't need dead body parts, right? That's not what we're called. We're not called to be just phantom limbs. We're not called to be that, you know, extra kidney. We're called to be working parts that are in motion, that are adding to the ministry. You know, the general ministry, we've talked about this a lot, you know, to make disciples, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. One by one, we look to change life so that together, the, the more we get, the more lives change, the more the world is impacted. That's kind of the general call to ministry. But each of us has an individual call, how we live that out, what we do. Some of us are called to ordain ministry. Thankfully, not many of us, Right? Some of us are called to to be missionaries across the sea. Some of us are called to be missionaries in our workplace, to make disciples within our family, to be a loving presence in chaos, to fight for justice, right? 
there are specific things. Jennifer and I prayed as a couple after we got married, what thing God would do, how, how God would work through us to find justice, to bring mercy, to make disciples. But we feel fairly particular where God called us. Fairly concretely, we, we, we believe we heard God's call. But we have to recognize that wherever that is in our life. Jesus waited 18 years. Maybe you've been waiting more, right? But he waited patiently. Not just, you know, sitting around making tables. He was listening, right? You know, he was listening. He was waiting for the cue. And, and here's the thing. When he found it, when he heard that call to action, he took action. He went. And that's why I think where a lot of us get get messed up, right? We, uh, you know, we we listen, we want to listen, but then sometimes we even hear. We, oh, okay, yeah, God, you're calling me to this, but then we don't act. We don't take the next step because it's kind of scary. I don't want to go to, you know, like our friends. I don't want to go to Indonesia with my newborn to be a person who is spreading the good news to a predominantly Muslim community. But they acted. And now they're there and doing great ministry. I hope you catch up with them on Facebook and their newsletter. Wonderful stuff. So I hope that happens in your life. God's not going to make you do it, right? God didn't make, the Father did not make the Son do it, right? You know, God didn't come down and say, come on, Son, let's go into ministry, right? Jesus had to make that decision. You have to make that decision. That's the, the frustrating and wonderful part of our faith, right? We're called to make disciples. Jesus says, go make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. But here's the thing. You can't make a disciple. Right? And, and yes, Jesus. That, the only way we can make disciples is to bring G to people to Jesus Christ. Right? But Jesus Christ can't make disciples unless they're willing to be disciples. Jesus Christ doesn't force people you know, if you, you, you know, you can't, you can force someone to come to church, right? You can force someone to come to church, sit them down and, and, you know, bring them to Christ. You know, literally, you know, we had, you know, a big statue of Jesus. You could bring them over there. But Jesus isn't going to shake them until they become a disciple. Everyone has to make that decision themselves. That's the frustrating part about Christianity. You can disciple someone, you can work with someone, you can lead someone to Christ for decades. And they can not ever come. That's frustrating. But that's the beauty of our faith, right? No one's making us do anything. God isn't making us do this. God lets us make our own decisions. And so when we hear God, I think we should act. Now that brings us to affirmation. And this is, um, this is important. It was important for Jesus. I mean, even though I got into, you know, well, maybe it wasn't such good news. It was good news, and it was an affirmation. This is my son who I am well pleased. This is my beloved. That's good news, right? We all want to hear that. We all want affirmation. Jesus was perfect, right? But he needed affirmation. And we're not going to hear our calls as perfectly as Jesus heard his call. And that's why affirmation is even more important. When you see somebody who has man something, I don't know what it is, 
But what, what, whatever it is, you see somebody and say, wow, that person is really made for this. Or, or that person really needs to invest in this. Or man, I feel this person is called to proclaim good news or, or to be in mission or to serve in this way. You need to say something. And then when you see somebody doing something good, you need to affirm them and say, wow, thank you. Thank you. We, we just get down on each other so much in our world. We just have to divide, right? Everything. That's why I've not looked at Facebook or the news for the last 30 days. Because that's all it is. Pick your side, dig in your heels, and yell as loud as you can. But that's not the church. The church is building each other up. The church should be like a whole bunch of cheerleaders who are really excited about each other being cheerleaders. Right? That's what we should be acting like. Affirmation is so, so important. You know, to become an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, there's about a 10-year process where all you do is have people question your call to ministry. Thank the Lord, most of you don't have to deal with that, but that's part of our process. And now I'm on the other side of that process, being an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, and I'm actually on the committee that does that work on the conference level. And it's great um, being on the other side of it. But, but it is not, you know, you, know, we, you know, we interview people and they get scared and everything else, but, but it's encouraging because we want you to be the best you are. You know, don't, I'm not going to send you out to a church in the middle of nowhere with 20 people that don't like each other until I know you are ready to go and make disciples. I'm not saying that's immediately what happens when you get ordained in ministry in the Northern Illinois Conference, but that happens sometimes. Um, but you, you, we want to make sure people are ready and we want to affirm them. You know, you uh, have such a wonderful heart, right? You have such a beautiful mind. Your theology is so good. Your passion is so in, invigorating and refreshing. Your take on preaching is great. But you need to work on this. You need to, we can do that. But we need to be affirming when we do that and not just the critical part. We're good at the critical part. We're not so good at the affirming part. Yes, you have a wonderful call to ministry, and I think this is what it is. Our faith is based on this encouragement, lifting each other up. So there's a couple lessons, right? We need, to, uh, we need to listen to hear that call, and we need to take action when that call comes. We need to affirm ourselves and look for affirmation. But then I think there's something else. We need to understand the nature of our call. Now, the first part of Jesus' affirmation is the reality that he is king, all right? The reality that you are king, king of kings, king of the universe, right? King of everything. Your reign begins today. Now, sometimes when we feel called by God, right, we build ourselves up. I'm feeling pretty, I'm, hey, I'm the beloved, right? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling chosen, I'm feeling called into ministry. It's exciting, right? It is. We think of the power, the glory, the affirmation, you know, that comes with that. Remember Jesus, he was not called to be a king living in a palace lording over everyone else, right? He was called to be a servant king, a suffering servant. If you see your call lead you to power and glory, you might be heading in the wrong direction. I think that's the lesson, right? 
if you're looking for, oh, I, I think people are going to say good things about me and all this kind of stuff, you may be heading in the wrong. Well, I, you know, I think if I do this, I'm going to make a lot of money you know, and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to be important, right? People are going to remember me for generations. I don't know what you people think about, but I'm you know, just guessing some stuff. You might be headed down the wrong, the wrong direction, the wrong path. Now, if you follow Christ and you feel led towards service, even suffering, I know that's hard, you might be on the right track. Either way, you need to understand the nature of your call. What am I really called to be? Who am I really called to be? Will your call benefit you, your salvation, your life? your family, your whatever? Or will it benefit the narrative of the salvation of all people? So the last four weeks, just wrapping up here, we've talked about these epiphanies, these kind of aha moments Jesus has had. Jesus' family's had these moments he experienced in his youth. And these revelations have led us to, I think, hopefully epiphanies in our own lives. Once we realize we are children of God, how pleased God is of us, and I think that's true, and we realize God is calling us into action, I think then the next step is we are ready to have an awakening. So this Lent, we're going to come back to Jesus and what Jesus did and his ministry and everything else. But for the next couple weeks, we're going to dive into this world of awakening, waking up to the new life God has in store for us. And hopefully you'll come to a place where you are ready or renewed in your call to ministry as Christ was the day of his baptism. Amen.